Hello, I'm Eugene Kim, and I'm welcoming you to On Death, the podcast where we talk about death through the four prompts. I am, before I die, I want, when I die, I want, and after I die, I want. This week, we sit down with Chris. Chris is a 38-year-old future family man, survivor, and question mark. When I moved to Coopersburg, the first person I met would later shoot Chris five times. He survived the wounds to his leg, arm, and head, and six months out, he is well on his way to a full physical recovery. During this conversation, we discuss the mental and emotional recovery from such a traumatic experience. We talk about his feelings toward his uncle, the shooter. And most of all, we ruminate on this opportunity to change, the shift in perspective after a brush with death and how he plans to move forward with his life. Before we talk more about Chris, I want to talk talk about my long-form Sundays posts. These are weekly reflections that I've written from the first anatomy lab of medical school to now uh, my third clerkship of uh, third year. And uh, last week on December 10th, I published On Snow, Saunas, and Headaches, or Getting My Mojo Back. This week, I reflected on a return to myself, a canoe trip, a YMCA sauna, and a story about headaches all came together to bring in the winter and end my funk. Then, the following week, on December 17th, I published On a Series of Unfortunate Events, or The Second Vanna White Debacle. This week, I reflected on an obstacle-filled journey from New Hampshire to Pennsylvania. Along the way, we changed a tire, got help from a stranger, received a compliment, and made it home safely. You can find all these posts in their full form, in their full written form, on the website uh, mnmwod.com. That's mobility and mindfulness work of the day, mnmwod.com. And as well as you can find them alongside these uh, these interview series, uh, you'll find them interspersed. Uh, there should be two weeks, uh, two episodes of the long form posts, and then an interview, two long form posts, and an interview on your on your uh, podcast feed. So back to Chris. Chris is something new, a question mark, and confused. Before Chris dies, he wants a family. When Chris dies, he wants to not have any relational issues with his family and people to be at peace with him. After Chris dies, he wants people to be happy that they had him in their life and an education for his kids. In conclusion, Chris says, going through something that is as physically and mentally altering as being shot by a family member and surviving it presents its own set of challenges. This is traumatic physically, but you can't ignore the mental. Don't ignore it. The physical healing is definitely the easiest part. Your body will do that for you. The mental stuff is a lot more complicated. So Chris, I've uh, this. First of all, Chris is a pseudonym for him. He uh, wants to, uh, you know, we want to respect his privacy uh, going forward. And uh, this, uh, I've known Chris. uh, You know, we met before I moved to Coopersburg because he's my landlord, and uh, we uh, we skyped a couple times to figure out this house. You know, when we were so stoked to move down here uh, earlier in May 2017, and uh, like I said, the first person that I saw when I moved here was 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 Bill, the, the shooter. And, uh, it, you know, that whole, that whole sequence of events I wrote about in, um, in a post in a long form Sunday's post on May 22nd, 2017 on the other side or two days since step one. And so, uh, uh, there I, I talk a little bit more about it, but I'll briefly cover it here. Um, and we go in a little bit into the this into a little bit of of the experience of, of the shooting for both myself and for Chris. But uh, uh, we don't 
we don't spend a whole lot of time on it because we're trying we're talking about where he's going you know not where he was and so um on I think the twenty twentieth of May, um, you know Chris knows better. Uh, that's when uh, we Mackenzie and I uh, we drove over to Philadelphia, took step one, then we drove back here, kind of crashed, woke up in the morning, and we heard five shots, and uh, that was Chris getting shot um, repeatedly by a handgun in close range by his uncle Bill, and. Uh, he survived. Uh, we, Mackenzie, Andre, and I, uh, we were all, uh, you know, kind of like the first first responders before they were able to secure the scene. We were the ones that called the the police um, to to help keep them up to, updated and like, oh yeah, he's like he's going, he's doing stuff, and it was it was a pretty tense couple, uh, you know, like an hour or so there. But uh, every everything, you know, lo- no loss of life all around. The police were able to take uh, the shooter into custody. And, um, you know, Chris has been recovering since he, uh, he briefly mentioned it, but the, the bullets that he were, was shot with, uh, were old bullets, uh, such that he, uh, you know, a couple months after the, you know, he got surgery, got, uh, you know, the, the surgeons decided to keep a lot of the bullet fragments inside because they would be rooting around and causing a lot more damage to get him out than to, than to just leave him in and let his body, you know, sort of, uh, capsule it off and then a couple months after the surgery you know he's walking around pt's going good and then he starts uh <laughs> comes down with lead poisoning because the bullets were so old and uh so he's been having some chelation therapy and dealing with that and he had uh, another surgery to remove some of the larger fragments just to uh, avoid that but it's been a wild ride for him to recover and um you know it was I've been slow, you know, I've been doing this podcast for a while and I was like, oh, shoot. I, well, no, I shouldn't say shoot. <laughs> oh, dang. Ever since he got shot, I really want to sit down and talk with him. And, you know, I've been very, very, uh, I've been trying to be low pressure about it because I know that any any kind of that experience is going to be incredibly traumatic and I want to respect him and uh, his process of, of dealing with that. And uh, it seemed like uh, now was the good time because uh, it's from he described this a little bit that his uh, support structures are slowly being taken away. You know, the casts are being removed after the after that experience. The uh, the physical casts are easy. Uh, the emotional casts of having people to support him and people around all the time. And now he's a, he has, he, you know, his last support structure left. Um, and now he's kind of alone and just uh, trying to figure this whole thing out and what to do going forward. And um, I think that was what prompted him to finally, you know, really sit down with me and have this conversation. And, um, you know, this is a great, a great, great example of somebody that I want to re-interview in several years time to see uh, how did, you know, uh, you know, he would have his this conversation would have been wildly different. Um, if I, you know, sat down with him in the hospital of, uh, you know, a couple, di- you know, a couple of week, a week or two after the, the shooting, um, he might not have had any processing down. He might've just been totally dazed. Um, but then, uh, six months later, he's, you know, he kind of has an idea of how he wants to go forward, the changes that he wants to make in his life. Uh, but he's still, you know, he, he says it as like, he's sort of like a, a little baby deer trying to walk for the first time. He's very shaky and just doesn't really know how to use his own limbs again. And, so, uh, and then in, in three years time and five years time, um, maybe he's meeting, he met someone, maybe he's, uh, starting a family and uh how different is our will this conversation be and how different will it feel uh 
I don't know. That's what's so interesting about time is as it passes, things get real, real different and the priorities change. And, you know, after such a crazy event like this, um, does he keep the trajectory he's on or does he settle into patterns that he's comfortable with? And is that a bad thing? I don't know. Uh, some some wild and crazy changes are good. Some some aren't. Uh, he quit smoking, uh, which is great. You know, it's hard to argue with that. Um and also, he yeah, one thing uh, we we talk a little bit about this in terms of like, him trying to find a relationship and and wanting uh, somebody who's uh, a, a you know uh, an equal to him in, intellectually is uh, we, in the area we live in in uh, Pennsylvania is pretty rural. It's um, not it's you know there's some bigger towns, but I would hardly call it a city. And it's uh, people are pretty spread out, so the dating pool is a little bit thin, uh, you know, compared to like New York City or something like that. Um, and additionally, towards the end, um, the battery died twice. Uh, so we we stitch. We're gonna stitch. We're stitching the the interview together uh, pretty well. Scott Scott H, uh, previous guest of the podcast, he uh, he you know he does the editing and he's he's he did a great job. And um, so the battery died twice uh, in pretty decent spots actually for it to die. So I hope it uh, I hope it doesn't throw you off too much. And I'm going to include uh, some of the intro stuff because uh, some of my warm-up questions, at, and I'm going to pin that at the end because uh, I think it's really good. He he expresses a lot of doubt. Uh, I think more, and I think uh, it's valuable, that doubt that he expresses um, because it really, I think, shows where he's at. Like, uh, you know, he's, he, he says, I am a question mark. I am confused. And uh, we talk a little bit about it, but you don't really, he, he doesn't really... Sh- get it across so much as much as he does in that first uh couple warm-up questions so i hope you don't mind me rambling too much i think it was a a decent setup um i really recommend uh checking out the uh, on the other side or two days since step one on may 22nd uh remember you can go to mnmwad.com mobility mindfulness work of the day to read a little bit more about that or you can just uh just listen it's a great conversation i think i've talked too long so i hope that you have your coffee tea or water ready for this lovely conversation on death with chris it is uh december 10th 2017 i'm sitting here in my coopersburg home with chris and we're gonna be talking about death through the four prompts chris what are the four prompts i am before i die when i die and after i die Excellent. And how do you finish that first prompt, I am? (laughs) I am something new. It is yet undefined. Uh, I was something previously. I have been something for the last six months. And at this moment and in the last couple of days, I am something entirely different and new. And I'm not sure what that is. (laughs) Yeah, it's like almost like a squish, like the squishy chrysalis, like that's just kind of forming, and who knows what's going to happen. But um, yeah, like the little baby deer learning to walk. Yeah, all squiggly. And how how does it feel to be this something new? Because there, this isn't up. That it's you know not a great experience to have gone through, but to be on the other side of it and to be healthy, relatively speaking. Um, you are something new. Like, what does that feel like? People don't get a uh, like a chance like that very often in life. It 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 may be scarier than what actually happened. <laughs> 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 <I'm not kidding. laughs> 
what, what actually happened, I didn't have a whole lot of time to think about or, mm-hmm. or analyze or prepare for. That's all I have now is time to think, analyze, and prepare, and figure out what comes next. And that's the that's the hard part. So it should be enthralling. You know, as a little kid, it's like the excitement about, whoa, they don't know what's coming next. So <laughs> this, is, this is lots of fun. And, you know, as an adult, things take a little bit of a different perspective. But it's exciting and probably scary all at the same time. Um, I, you know, I think most people, as you get older, start to learn to appreciate their ability to control their environment or control things around them to a certain degree. You can't control everything. Mm-hmm. And that provides a sense of security. And, um, you know, I, I don't, I do have control over certain aspects of my life, where, where I work, where I'm going to live, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to do when I get up in the morning. But I don't know what comes after that. I don't know what comes next. And part of that stems from my determination to completely redefine my life from what happened six months ago. So May 20th, I was shot five times and ended up in the hospital and survived. I came, almost died in six different ways from <laughs> from what happened. Uh, but, you know, my femoral, nothing hit my femoral artery or my radial artery or penetrated my skull or <laughs> the, the blood test revealed lead poisoning. Just all sorts of just fun, fun backgrounds and like yeah. uh, follow-ups to that. Yeah. Who knew that bullets were made from lead? <laughs> I mean, I guess that's kind of an obvious answer, but the reality is that you don't think about it until they're inside you. But uh, you go through something that's life-changing, or supposed to supposedly. I mean, it really put my life on hold for six months and made me look at things from the inside out and. Mm. Coming out of that, I, I'm back to work first time uh, in six months. I started that two weeks ago, and now I'm not sure what comes next. I'm, I am a question mark. <laughs> it's the best way I can put it. Because uh, it's, I mean, it's it's a, I, I, I'm thinking of like, a, like, an, like somebody who's suffering from alcohol addiction. They need to hit a rel- like a rock bottom to really. I really wish change. I had that problem. That sounds like a fun problem, though. right? It's it's almost it's almost it almost sounds like it would be easier to have gone through something like that, like an alcoholic rock bottom, than it would be to have gone through all of these like external things just coming at you. I don't know. I think I think alcoholics tend to hurt all the people around them mm-hmm. in many many ways. In this case. I was the one being injured, and there was more or less nothing but support and sympathy around me, so I, I can't complain about that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't want to... <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to go through being the guy who was hurting everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, uh... You get to... You get to a point where you do, you want to go back to some relative normalcy where you don't want mm-hmm. constant sympathy being expressed, or mm-hmm. the look of, how do I talk to you? I'm the same guy I always was. Just talk to me. Mm-hmm. With people that I've known for a long time. It's, uh, they look at you with like that, oh, you poor thing sort of look. They look at you like you're made of glass. Mm-hmm. Or could be, and they're not sure. And well, Of course, the only person who didn't look at me that way was my boss. So <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, get back to work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, I hear about it from people who have uh, lost a, love, a very close loved one, like a father or a brother. And they say that, you know, 
at the at the funeral, they're the one consoling everyone else because they're the ones. Everyone's coming to them, being like, "I feel so bad for you," and all this, and they have to support others when they themselves need it the most. And I wonder uh, what kind of reflection have you gone through over the past six months? I'm gonna imagine like three weeks out was totally different than three months out than it is six months out. But uh, how has your reflection on that day and your life changed? As time has progressed. Three weeks out is really easy. Because three weeks out, everything is black and white. You're in the hospital or coming out of the hospital. And you have... The only thing in front of you is get better. Mm-hmm. Heal. Go, go. you know... I came out very lucky. I wasn't paralyzed or crippled in any way. I was expected to make more or less a full recovery minus, you know, some battle scars. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very fortunate on my part, you know, for me. But the... Coming out of that, um, your path is very clear. And then it's very simple to make decisions and say, I'm not going to go back to anything that I was. I'm going to change everything. (laughs) (laughs) Then executing on that is the hard part. Mm -hmm. And that comes three months, six months, whatever. But it doesn't come until you have reached a physical state where you first comes with the physical healing, then the mental healing. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how long that mental healing takes because I think that's still going on. Mm-hmm. And it's not really healing as much as it is digging for answers. I don't really wonder why it happened, nor do I really care. And oddly, everybody wants, who talks to me wants to know, well, you know, he's, he must be in jail, the guy who shot me. <laughs> and what's going to happen to him? And, and my answer to most of that, they, they think I have an interest in it, and the reality is I don't. Mm-hmm. I cared about the person that ended up in jail, I feel sorry that, that, that this is what ended up happening to him. But I don't feel sorry for myself. It, it's reality. I feel very lucky that I'm not paralyzed or crippled permanently. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I'm not and I will make a full recovery means that all of this can be put behind me and I don't need to wonder why or question it or think about what happened to figure out I don't need the answers. I'm okay with not having the answers. Mentally, I can move on without that. What I can't figure out quite yet is all of the stuff that I wanted to change and want to change, how do I make all that happen? So, Like, what are some of those things? Well, I've been carrying around a, a few extra pounds for a while. Mm-hmm. Getting back in shape and feed, you know, feeding the, um, the athlete that was inside of me when I was going through high school and college and even thereafter, um, feeling fit and in shape and healthy good part of that was not smoking anymore that mm. was the easiest part of all of this <laughs> but getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym and then putting in a full day at work and traveling on a regular basis and and a lot of that traveling by car where you have to stop and try to find a way to eat healthy on the road not mm. so simple mm-hmm. and you know as you hit your late 30s i'm sure metabolism slow down yada 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 but so feeling the goal was to feel good about myself selfishly just find a way to feel healthy good positive uh like uh, somebody in your late 20s not your late 30s mm-hmm. i know that's mm-hmm. completely possible but that you know mentally being able to feel that mm-hmm. um and then you know beyond that that was that was one goal i think i, I wanted to evaluate what i was doing for work where i was working mm-hmm. did i want to stay in this area Reality is, I think, <laughs> number one thing, being in the hospital, 
I'm glad I was near my family when this happened. Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, had I been living in Chicago and had this happened when I was living in Chicago, my family was 800 miles away. I don't know how all this would have played out. It certainly would have been the same thing, but um, the support structure, not to say that anything like this is ever going to happen to me again, but <laughs> I'm sure someday I'll be an old person and then the hospital, mm. but I'd like to have my family around me. I'd like to spend more time with them. So I determined and learned that I would like to have my family be a greater part of my life. And I think the last thing I figured out was I didn't want to... I, I do want a family. I want a wife and kids. I haven't found it yet. Mm. But I don't like the idea that... The, not that I'm, I'm, I... I think I'm happy that I didn't have a wife and kids when all this happened because they would have gone through hell. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. let's assume the odds are with me, and and that's not going to happen again. Um, that's something I would like for the rest of my life. So, those are some of the things that I would like. Mm-hmm. That's good. I mean, you got the uh, you got the physical trying to become feel like that that athlete again. You have the emotional and the relational, like the with your family and with, with wanting to start a family. Um, all of that. That's that's a lot of, but like, how how does like I, I get so with specifically like with your current family and trying to make them a bigger part of your life. What is what? How does that change? Like, what is is that like a couple more dinners a night a week? Is it like uh, do you talk to them differently? Do they like do you interact with them in a different way than you had pre shooting? <laughs> I pay more attention and spend more time with them. Respond. In other words. When they reach out by phone, text, whatever, respond more quickly. More, in other words, I, I get very busy and very focused on my work and mm-hmm. other things that are going on around me. And in the past, have had a habit of of not shutting them out, but just if it wasn't important immediately, the text message might wait until after work, and then it also might get forgotten. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, and and the same being true for friends and things like that. Can't focus so much on your work. You need to focus a little bit more on the things that are more important to your life. Said no one ever on their deathbed. <laughs> <laughs> I want to spend more time with the office, right? So, mm-hmm. like making making your family and friends more of a priority, like really like setting them higher on that list. Right. Did you have a religious or spiritual upbringing to your childhood? Um, by choice more than by. Uh, than by uh, direct exposure. My, my mother went to church every Sunday. She went to a Presbyterian church. Didn't force anything on me. They, I went to Sunday school. I learned about the Bible. I learned and memorized, you know, the, the chapters of the New Testament and the, the you know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, the, there was a rhyme to them and all. I went through most of the stuff that it's good to expose kids to to, to but. Um, you know, as I went through middle school and my parents were divorced, that was much harder to accomplish. One Sunday I'd be with my father and wouldn't do anything. The next Sunday I'd be with my mother and we'd be going to church. So there was no consistency. Mm-hmm. But in eighth grade, I I and my family made an active choice to move from public school to Catholic school. Mm-hmm. And as a consequence or a result of that, um, the day-to-day exposure uh, to Catholicism, I, I wanted to be a part of something bigger than myself, and it started to grow on me. So I made an active effort to, I didn't really convert, I just declared my Catholicism and went through 
First Communion and Confirmation and everything all at once. And that was my freshman year in high school. And uh, I spent four years in Catholic school going to Mass once a week. And mm -hmm. um, it, it was a choice. Um, I can't say that that stuck with me. Over the years, I've become more of a buffet Catholic. Uh, <laughs> I pick and choose what I, I, I like about it. But the reality is I think I've developed a more spiritual belief system. Um, <laughs> I don't believe in any one God. I don't believe that any one religion is correct. I can't because that would mean that everybody else is just an idiot. And I can't really buy into that. Mm -hmm. And and everybody's religion tells you that everybody else is an idiot, or tells you, but it also tells you to be accepting. And I frankly think religion might be one of the worst things that happened to this world, other than the fact that it brings a community together. But when you bring those commu those multiple communities together, then there's conflict. So I think I've developed a sense of spirituality and a scientific belief for the fact that there is something more, or something greater out there, and it is probably some form of a, an intelligence or God, and just not exactly the way we on earth believe it to be mm -hmm. some savior or some something something that's uh, I don't know I, I think the reality is I just don't know and I'm okay with it mm -hmm. but I have not had any kind of religious or spiritual epiphany having gone through this recently uh, more a perhaps a desire to re-enter a community and looking at where I might re-enter the spiritual slash religious community at some point, finding a place for myself. Mm -hmm. And have, is that part of like the, the next six months of looking, of looking forward, of trying to find something, trying to find out what is this question mark? How does it resolve into something more substantial? Mm -hmm. So probably visiting multiple churches or, whatever people do whenever they're getting together doesn't always have to be a church mm -hmm. um and exploring things that way um i might even i mean i <laughs> would like to look at hinduism and other religions it just i going to explore that i'm going to explore online dating uh, and and uh and it's multiple formats and see where that leads me uh, and try to kind of expand my horizons mm -hmm. so those are probably the two bigger question marks on the horizon that I plan to, I'm not going to resolve, but... Explore. Yeah, explore over the next six months. Mm -hmm. And uh, do, you, do you have a, a practice of, of prayer? And did, has that changed since the... Since... No. No, I... Although I, I have to say, I, there is a part of me that questions of my, my, I question my questioning of religion, having gone through that, because the reality is that it's the likelihood of uh, the confluence of events that it took to, for me to walk away with that serious injury, the percentage of that is, the odds are not very high, let's just say that, and so I question my questioning, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, is there somebody who was watching out for me. And the reality is that most people that come to see me tell me that. <laughs> they tell me that <laughs> somebody was watching out for me or, you know, God was looking after me. And I'm okay with that, but I think I need to come to that conclusion on my own. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I don't want to look at the rest of the world like everybody's crazy because they, they're religious, because they believe that 
somebody died and was resurrected three days later. Uh, or, well, I know Christianity. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Islam, so I can't draw the parallel. But mm -hmm. the, uh, I just need to look for, look at it for myself. Mm. Like, do the work, look at the faith, and, like, what, what leaps of faith do you need to make in, in order to, uh, to really, I don't know, buy in is the best word I can think of. Well, I have to feel it. Mm. And, yeah, that is buy in, but the, I'm okay with a leap of faith. I've done that plenty of times. It's, it's the, I have to, I have to believe it, though. Mm. And I'm, I'm not at that point yet, so... What I figured out over the last six months is that I need to I, I need to explore to be able to find where I belong or what I what works for me. Mm -hmm. So you are um, you're something new. You're a question mark. Uh, is the is there something else that you are? <laughs> Confused. Confused about what? You name it. <laughs> I, have, I don't. I don't entertain the idea that I have all or any of the answers at this point. You lose all sense of arrogance and and uh, innocent. That childhood innocence returns after you go through something like this. Nothing is important anymore. But the confusing part is just uh, you don't have any surety about decisions. Um, you have to, you learn to go more with your gut than anything else. Like, well, this feels right, so I'm going to go that way. Mm -hmm. um, now, what are some examples? Deciding whether I'm going to look at changing my job. Mm -hmm. um, if I look for another job, am I going to look at moving across the country or across the world mm -hmm. for a new job? Mm -hmm. And if I do that, I'm leaving my family behind. If I do that, well, is there any point to me actually trying to look and date around this area if I'm planning on picking up and moving. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have a lot of answers right now and I'm still trying, I'm, I guess I'm trying to figure out where I, where I want to be. You don't know what you want. I don't know. I don't know is the answer to a lot of questions these days. <laughs> and that's a, sure. it's a good thing, right? That, mm -hmm. that can, that, like, uh, everything needs to get questions, everything needs to get challenged, is, uh, that's, the, when, during those shakeups. that's important, because uh, so much, so much of uh, what I go through on a daily basis, what oh, a lot of people go through on a daily basis, go, goes unquestioned, and goes unexamined, and it's, uh, you can build up some really weird habits that way, such as smoking, such as uh, toxic relationships, and and that, that kind of questioning, it's, um, it can get in the way sometimes, I imagine, of uh, feeling like you're making progress, but it allows you to progress in a way that feels um, maybe more authentic, more real. can. Um, I figure that when I, I do come to some conclusions now, they're, they're going to be a lot better thought through than they were once upon a time. <laughs> Can you think of anything that you were like, oh, if, okay, uh, Andrew, uh, uh, Chris from a year ago would have responded totally differently to this? I'm, I, uh, yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of those that are, that, but I think the, the one that stands out most is I would 
uh, alter my analysis of bringing anybody to live with me uh, more than I, <laughs> I I had previously. I would analyze that a little bit more in depth, and uh, <laughs> not to say that 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 would that this what what happened was preventable, because I don't think it was. Uh, it just um, that decision wasn't really thought through. It just was obvious. This is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's a there's a good question for you. My gut instinct was to do what I believed was the right thing. It turns out that that actually ended up hurting me. But for the fact that I was doing probably a good thing for somebody else, I'm, I'm not walking. I'm back walking. I, I I gave up six months, six months that probably benefited me to stop and think through life mm-hmm. before I got too old and too weak to do it again. Mm-hmm. So, too stupid smoking. <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> I was it was I, I like I am, I'm convinced that this isn't the worst thing that ever happened to me. It's the best. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. there's no question in my mind. So, I I look back at it and, and and many people would say, oh god, that's terrible. It's not terrible. It was fantastic. Yeah, it wasn't fun, but lots of things in life aren't fun. This was actually a very positive thing. Ridiculous as that may sound. <laughs> well, it's it's the it's your reaction to it that makes it a, a good or a bad thing, right? Like if you react poorly to it, if you shut down, if you uh, close people out of your life, and you decide that life is no longer worth living, then okay, it was a bad thing. I think it was you pretty much say it was pretty bad. But if you quit smoking, if you uh, if you express yourself physically again, and you are able to emotionally connect with people that you need to emotionally connect with, then yeah. It sounds like it was a pretty good thing. Like some people would say, I'd sign up for that if they only could, right? Well, keep in mind those things aren't mutually exclusive either. Mm-hmm. They, you can be on the path of doing all those things that make it a very positive experience, and still emotionally shut people out or mm-hmm. do things that are um, emotionally detrimental or dangerous to yourself. Um, you you can still have both reactions at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know the desire and the reaction that this is a very positive thing that may be well and good, but when you're alone trying to fall asleep in bed at night, you might not be so happy. It, it, it cuts both ways, and you definitely experience both both emotions. Mm-hmm. So, for what that's worth, <laughs> is there a, so uh, uh, something new? Question mark and confused. Is there something else on that list? I don't think so. I mean, I'm. The confusion should cover a lot of it because I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I have defined exactly what I am. I, I am. I am evolving. I am changing. I am confused about what that means. I am a large question mark at this point, uh, and I will be something very different in a month, in six months, in a year, and ten years from now. I think many people will go through life will, will would not be able to say that they will be something different a decade from now. Mm-hmm. It'll be the same thing. But there's an active participation in my life at this point that uh, I perhaps didn't have before. Like you kind of get the steering wheel back a little bit in some ways. Well, yeah. It's like you. It's like you were drifting to sleep while you were driving a car. And you're like, oh, wait, wait, what? <laughs> you grab the wheel really tight and you, you take control of the car and what the fuck? I almost died. <laughs> White knuckle it for a little bit, and then you can kind of like, okay, okay, we're back, we're in the lion, we're good. Yes. 
And uh, that and that's you know that's why I wanted that's why I've been quietly hounding you for the, to be able to sit down with you like this because it is uh, it is so rare to be given that kind of an opportunity uh, to to oh gosh uh, where am I and then uh, and then it's a whole different question mark of being able to listen to somebody talk about their experiences and and like where do they think where do, where does someone like this think they're going to be in a year where do they think that they're going to be in ten years it's a whole it's like that kind of things are fuzzy now, but, uh, the, the direction that your life is taking is changing. And it's, uh, it's for, for me, fascinating. Like, I don't want to, you know, it's like, it's just fascinating to see. To, it's very true. I am a fascinating person. You are <laughs> so interesting. So interesting. Uh, so how do you finish the next prompt? Uh, before I die, I want, before I die, I want a family of my own wife, Children, uh, relationship, traditional sense of what everybody seeks out, you know, that, that, but what I haven't found is my, my counterpoint, my, uh, person. My, yeah, I haven't found my person. For a while, I thought I had. I was, um, was on that path, but, um, I don't like the idea of continuing down the path of life that I was on alone. Um, I'm fine with it, but I don't like it. It's not fun. So, and and, and that's actually more to the point. Um, I'm I'm gonna use a little bumper sticker wisdom here, and uh, but my mother gave me a magnet for my refrigerator. It says, "Do more of what makes you happy." Primarily to remind me to continue to do more of what makes me happy, <laughs> because I you know have not been traditionally very good at that. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I'll take the bumper sticker, and uh, but yeah, I don't. That is, I don't need to achieve some enormous goal in my life. I think the right way to define the goal is, I will be an excellent father, and will raise a whole bunch of little mini me's. <laughs> will be better for it. Uh, Better than, and I don't mean this in a negative way or to other people, but better than a lot of other parents out there. A lot of kids that I experience and come across. But uh, it's not even about that. I just, I want to experience that part of life. And uh, I don't need to be a CEO of a company or, or accomplish something with my career that I previously thought was something I wanted. The family is the goal at this point. The family and and... Not even passing on my genes, just passing on a little bit of wisdom, maybe. I see, uh, especially with this response, there are like kind of two avenues somebody can take. And you can take both. Uh, that's totally fair. Uh, they, it's an avenue of a legacy of blood or a legacy of sweat. And uh, the legacy of sweat, you know, build a big company, build a foundation that gives back to your community, um, that kind of thing. Make, a, you know, create a cure for a disease, that kind of like that's this legacy of work. And uh, then there's a legacy of blood, of, of family, of and ne- not necessarily your own blood. Maybe you adopt and you, you raise children as your own and you, you know, instill little lessons in their brains. Uh, but, you know, there's it's, you, people lean one way or the other. And do you think that um, Chris from a year ago would have changed, would have answered this differently? Sure. I don't think it would have been completely different, but I would have been chasing both equally, which you mm. can't do, it seems. Mm-hmm. Or at least you can, but 
I haven't done so successfully through 37 years, so in year, 30, <laughs> in year 38, it only makes sense to change course a little bit. Mm -hmm. let's, let's make a minor or major course correction here, and, and I'm opting for the major course correction. You know, the career is something that I can do either way. I can pursue it. I just, the, from a legacy standpoint, it's not a requirement for me. Mm -hmm. It'll, by virtue of who I am, the legacy will come. Um, it, it, it would be hard for me to ignore it, but I have to focus on the other side of things first. Mm -hmm. and, and with that other side of things, uh, what what will your other half, what will your partner look like? Like, what have you, you, you mentioned that you thought you were on that path before. Um, what lessons can you take from that experience to go into this, you know, this search, this like, uh, you know, one magnet looking for the other half? I don't have a lot of requirements. Just what I can't handle is uh, somebody who's on par with me from an intelligence standpoint. Somebody who's got a curiosity for life. Doesn't have to necessarily come from formal schooling, although formal schooling is usually an indication of, of you know, ambition at least for an education and curiosity. Mm -hmm. So. I would lean towards somebody who's been through school, obviously in college and or secondary degree or whatever, uh, to uh, to hint at the idea that they have an intellectual curiosity. But really, you just need somebody who can hold up their end of the conversation, who's going to challenge me, who's not going to let me just <laughs> make all the decisions and okay, whatever. And I don't, I don't want to push over. Mm. Aside from that, I don't have a whole lot of requirements. Um, it's obviously there. There are. Plenty of other elements that it's got to have a certain match from a physical and emotional standpoint, but those will either be or they won't be. So those are kind of prerequisites. Mm -hmm. As far as my requirements go, pretty easy, pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that's not an easy thing to find either. Um, it is, however, easier when you are younger or if you are looking at a younger age group. But finding somebody who is who has never been married, which it doesn't really matter to me, or who is not currently married, which is a lot harder. There are plenty of people that are married out there in this age group, uh, and or hasn't started their life, hasn't already fulfilled their quota of having children and decided they don't want anymore. Uh, things like that are, complicates the mix. Mm -hmm. Things I didn't think about in my late 20s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who, who I interviewed, and he was saying that uh, you know through his search filters uh, in relationships, what he would look for first is the is the emotional and the physical and then he would see, like, okay, given that, do they share my Christian faith? And then that's usually when he'd hit, hit like, a lot of roadblocks. And he's like, oh, man, I'm not really getting anywhere with these relationships. And so he switched it to uh, now, okay, first thing I'm looking for is somebody who sh shares my Christian faith. And then from there, that's sort of the pool that he works with. And uh, it sounds like that's sort of the switch that you're making, too, is your, uh, like, the, the, the emotional, physical part. That's, that's great. But like more of like the look for the intellectual first, and then see if the rest kind of lines up. That's hard to find. Uh, I, um, maybe it's. I think it it's, would be easier to. It's much easier to find in a larger city. Mm -hmm. um, there's a much broader swath of society here in this area. Mm -hmm. that, uh, the there's not a hugely dense population of of you know graduate level intellect mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah and uh 
just searching, just looking. And, you know, it's also, it's all funny because you, you, you know, the people in your age group, they're probably in already in a relationship. Like a lot of them are already in a relationship and they haven't quite yet maybe divorced their, you know, like ended that old. So it's like once you hit your like mid forties, maybe you'll hit a stride where, you know, people. Now, there's group. definitely a, a subsection of this when it's mid forties where, you know, kids are now kind of off the table because it's a high risk profile. Age mm-hmm. group. So, but they've, uh, they've so. been through that first life and now they're going after a second life because they determined, well, that guy wasn't for me. Uh, they might have kids or divorced, whatever. There's a ton of them. <laughs> but that's not really where I want to be. I still like to have some of my own kids. So mm-hmm. I am forced to look at a younger age group in their late 20s, early 30s and try to find uh, a, a good match there. Mm-hmm. It's tough, and I wish you the best of luck. <laughs> I think you need it, man. Thanks. So, uh, before we die, you want uh, a family? Yeah. What else? That's it. That's it? I, I, I'm, I, I have lowered the bar uh, <laughs> on requirements before I die, seeing having come fairly close to it. Mm-hmm. So, I, and, and it's the, the, what, the one thing that people have crossed their mind, like, oh, shit, I didn't get this or didn't do that. Only thing that crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Didn't have kids. Didn't have a family. Everything else was secondary. I've accomplished a lot of things in my life. I'm fine with. I've, and I know that if I, I, I've, I've gotten far enough with my career and with my job that, I know that if I put my mind to something, I can accomplish it. If I really wanted to be the president, that takes a little bit of luck, I'm sure, and some you know influence. But mm-hmm. if I really wanted to chase that goal, which I don't, I could probably go there. I could go get elected office. I could go do a lot of things. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. But one thing you don't have a lot of control over is love and, and relationships. Mm-hmm. You got you to gotta work at that. You got to try for those things. You got to figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's why it's simple. It's not a low bar. <laughs> it's actually a pretty high bar. Because oh. all that effort that you were describing to become the president of the, of the company, like that is the same amount of effort that you'll need to start a family, raise kids, and make sure that they're a reasonable human being. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. I'd rather put the effort there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a good segue. Uh, how do you finish the next prompt? When I die, I want. Mm. That one's a tough one. Um, so thinking that I had come relatively close to that at one point, um, and that's that's more of an uh, ethereal question to me, because when I die, you, that presupposes that you are able to determine... <laughs> what's happening in that moment mm-hmm. not planning for or projecting what would be happening or regretting something that didn't happen when I die um, I, I think I'd like to not have any uh, relational issues with my family I think that's a relatively simple statement but the people that are closest to me, I'd like them to, I don't want them to regret me going, or um, I think I'd like them to just be, I'd like them to be able to be happy for what I, 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 I the way I lived my life, and happy for me, and happier that I'm at peace wherever I am, whatever I've gone through. Presumably at this point I'm going to die of natural causes, not be forced down that path, <laughs> uh, as I almost was, so we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and uh, do you, like, how do you, how will you get to the point, or how will you know that you, is it through that prioritiz- prioritization that we talked about of 
of making your family and your friends a priority. It like making getting to that point where relation relationally you're at a point where everyone's pretty okay with it. Like, how will you get to that point? Pretty much just reminding yourself on a daily basis of what's important, and not, uh, you know, putting life on autopilot, not muting the, the the questions that come up along the way. I mean, relationships don't have to be complicated. People, you just need to be patient. And I don't know that I was very patient before. I am now. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I mean, like, I, I have moments where I'm not, but it, you very quickly realize, oh, no, that's, that's not how I want, that's not who I want to be. You start to question everything you do as from you, when you step back from it, say, is that who you want to be or is that not? Mm-hmm. And patience and a, a level head will get you a long way in terms of friends and family and relationships, avoiding conflict and maintaining them on the long, long-term scale. And, you know, so when I die, I just, uh, I'd like people to be at peace with me. Because, well, and, and, and that, it, that cuts both ways because that means that when I die, I will be at peace with those relationships as well. Mm-hmm. So, it's pretty simple. Because it's, uh, it's something that you almost have control over, you, in, in some ways at least. You, you're able to do the work on a daily basis, maintaining those relationships, keeping them healthy, uh, keeping the love there. Uh, versus, you know, the, the circumstances of your death, uh, you can't really control, as you know. Like, there's there's some level of it. Maybe if you have that uh, slow descent into death that you, everyone can kind of see coming, then you can really wrap some things up tidy with a bow, and you can say, I want my death experience to be like this, I want to be surrounded by these people. But you don't really, you might not get that control. But uh, if you have the, if you do the work on a daily basis of keeping those relationships healthy, then, uh, then that's kind of something that you can kind of just do and if when it happens it'll happen it just takes a lot of work because i wasn't very good at that so mm-hmm. it's such a large focal point because i wasn't good at maintaining uh keeping the plates spinning <laughs> i would keep a lot of plates spinning in the air about my job and my work but would let other things go mm-hmm. and less important to me now job how does that switch feel how does like how does that feel within you to be like "Eh, it's not that big a deal right now it feels pretty good to be able to walk into the office every day and know that if at the end of the day i have to tell my boss to go screw i'm okay with that because the only reason i would tell him or tell them to go screw (laughs) is if they tried to force me down a path that that was going to get in the way of a healthy lifestyle otherwise otherwise it's a job you go do your job you you know you're it's not just a nine to five for me there's travel involved it's longer hours but not the kind of hours i was putting in before which were till eight nine ten o'clock at night on weekends things like that which present prevented me from living a healthy lifestyle outside of that office mm-hmm. so um if i get pushed and insistently in other words i will resist any any push to extend hours or do things and if that's not acceptable and they continue to push then it'll be pretty clear what the parting way parting point is going to be 
Is there is there any way that you could have imagined that uh, Chris would reach this point that uh, that like where you can say that where you can say like Meh, I can walk away like there there's I'm like like if things are pushed to a certain point I'll walk away like it no like uh, Never any set imagined. of circumstances Can't, no couldn't have imagined it because uh, I I harbored so much fear of mm-hmm. the unknown fear I think is deadly mm-hmm. fear of I mean, to a certain degree, it was a, a push from a financial standpoint, fear of not having a nest egg or whatever. The same type of fear that a, I'm, well, I, a parent, but I would say probably, I can use my brother as an example, my brother, a parent of four, feels financially that he can't just up and walk away or make a big transition because he's got to put food on the table every month and, and health insurance and this and that, the other thing. You know, it, it's just not so simple to make life-altering decisions anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a catch-22 because you, by not making life-changing decisions, you continue to keep, leave yourself in a pigeonhole position, financially or otherwise, that you can't make those decisions going forward. So it gets worse and worse. It kind of mm-hmm. feeds back on itself. But by giving yourself the freedom to make a life-altering decision and say, meh, I'm done. And the confidence that you'll be able to get through it and find a resolution. That's the change. That's the change in the personality and the person, the confidence and the comfort with, with knowing who you are and saying, knowing when, where that line is and being able to say this far and no further. Mm-hmm. And, uh, no, I don't, I did not have that confidence before. I had too much fear of, losing the job or losing the income or losing the whatever and that I just don't care about anymore. And it's, I imagine it's so liberating to, to, to kind of drop that fear to <laughs> it's stuff that you've been carrying for so long. It, it is, but it also brings with it its own kind of fear, <laughs> <laughs> just a different kind. The fear now is that will like, will I, will I recognize that point or will I do it? My fear, biggest fear now is getting sucked back in mm-hmm. to the, you know, 70 to 80 hour work week lifestyle and working hard. And mm-hmm. I don't, I don't want to go back to being that person. I don't want to go back to, but I'll tell you what, you know, what the hardest thing to do is once you pull away from that, what? Learning how to relax. <laughs> Cause you spent so long practicing, not relaxing. How do, you, how do you sit still through to, I mean, I can get lost in a movie. That one's pretty easy for me, but when you're not watching a movie or doing like distracting yourself, uh, through, you know, the suspension of disbelief in a movie or a television show, how do you relax? I, the hardest thing for me is I like to read. How do you stop and sit still and read a book for mm-hmm. a length of time where you don't feel the pressure that I should be doing something else? I should be doing this. I should be doing that. I'm sure that's the way mothers and fathers feel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to a degree, but so I'm, I'm having to practice uh, my Zen. <laughs> for, through one way or another, right? And I'm not joking. Like I'm trying to figure out how to, how to do it. Okay, I don't need to do anything else right now. I can sit here and suck on this lollipop, <laughs> or read a book, or you know, have a beer, or shoot the shit with a neighbor, or I'm going to go to the gym for two hours because mm-hmm. that's what feels good. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's not easy to do. <laughs> is how 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 is that practice going? Are you like? Do you feel like you're like settling into it? Do you feel like you're just starting? Uh, do you feel like you're maintaining it? Like how? Where are you there? 
we just peeled off the, the last band-aid of, of this healing process where my last support structure departed and went back to Chicago. So I don't know yet. It's mm-hmm. it's it is a it has been an evolution over the last six months, but I'm I'm learning how to you know, control and do things the way I want to do them. Um, but uh, it's definitely a struggle. Not, for for years I have constantly felt this stress about what, and I'll tell you, it, it's not uncommon, or it's not, it's not, um, it is definitely related to the fact that I am a landlord. And, <laughs> and, and mm-hmm. I, I say that, but it's not just here. It's, there are units in Chicago, and it's not just one one location. So there's always somebody Mm-hmm. That is is needing something or or has an issue or whatever, um, because at any given point there are some forty five people that live under a roof that I maintain, and <laughs> there's always a problem with something. <laughs> so it 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 leads to a strong out lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I hired a property manager out in Chicago, but that still doesn't uh, resolve everything. It helps a great deal, but. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that, that that habit of there's when, when's the other shoe going to drop? That feeling it's hard to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And how do you finish that next, that final prompt after I die? I want. After I die, I want people to be happy that they have me in their life. For one reason or another, that I contributed in some way that, that, uh, well, not everybody, I just mean, you know, there are people I'm sure that are going to come out and say, God, I wish I'd never known that guy. <laughs> Hope not too many of them, but, you know, the people that, that I would say are most meaningful to me, whether it's family or close friends, that I've chosen to spend my time with, that they walk away from that relationship experience saying, I'm going to miss him because he brought this to my life. Whatever that may be. Mm-hmm. Usually I'd like that to be a smile. <laughs> Laughter. If I can make people laugh, make them smile, I'm okay with that. I think that's that's kind of good enough. And, you know, wife and kids, well, hopefully they are emotionally attached enough that, <laughs> that it matters when I'm gone. But after I'm gone, I think the only legacy I'd like to leave behind is... Um, Education for my kids. Mm-hmm. Just I, set them well. I don't want to make it easy for them. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I so I had always... I started buying real estate and, and being a landlord coming out of college because I wanted to do two things. I wanted to create a, a sense of financial stability for my family, ultimately, and also to be able to do something for people who couldn't do for themselves. At some point, I would financially be in a position to to say, this family from DCFS needs a helping hand. They, I'm going to set them up with a place to live. They don't need to pay rent. They don't need to do anything for the next six months or the next year. They can stay here. The only requirements are no drugs. You can't you have to drop all addictions or they can't come in with an addiction or whatever. And, uh, you know, they... It doesn't matter if they're on welfare. It doesn't matter. Just they, they, the expectation though is that I'm not going to be an inactive participant. I will be a participant in their lives and try to help. Give advice, whatever it may be. Not tell them what to do. Just be a, a, 
you know, a single mom doesn't know what to do. She's got three kids. She's not making enough money to afford a good place or a safe place for her kids. She comes stay with me. She get back on her feet. That was what I originally intended real estate to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, along the way, I helped family members help my mother to purchase a home. I took my uncle in when he was uh, when he had a heart attack and came out of the hospital and couldn't take care of himself. And uh, that was the start of that. But I think really the leg- from a legacy standpoint, I don't know that I care as much anymore. I mean, it'd be nice to be able to give my family something that, that uh, a sense of financial stability, but otherwise, really just educating them. It was the whole purpose was to give them an education. There isn't uh, formal education isn't isn't all of it. So I think that's really all I'm I would be looking for. People remember me fondly. And leave a little bit of a legacy, but not, you know, it doesn't need to be an enormous one. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future for uh, humanity, for the earth as general like as a whole, uh, for Art of this Pennsylvania community alone? Like, well, how do you feel about things going forward? Um, I think at every point, humanity has been presented with the requisite technology to solve the problems that were in front of them. The biggest one at this point being, I think, probably <laughs> climate change and, and, uh, and overpopulation. I think technology will allow for us to feed the world I don't know if we're going to be able to reverse uh, warming temperatures and and the rise of the oceans. I don't think it's going to create necessarily catastrophe. It's just going to displace a huge amount of population. Mm-hmm. And that's going to create separate other problems. Um, very expensive ones, and I think that life is going to get a lot more complicated over the next century. But humanity will confront it, and that will probably result in some sort of other war. <laughs> but... Um, in general, that's my prognostication about the world. I, generally positive. I don't. I, th- I think. Again, I, I told you. I think religion is responsible for a great deal of the pain in this world. Um, and uh, well, I'm torn about whether it's a good or a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, that problem isn't going to get resolved anytime soon. That's very true. Three religions claiming one city <laughs> as their own doesn't help the world too much. Or being fanatical about it. Mm-hmm. Fanaticism is, without feeling too sorry about it, but I think, <laughs> and this is going to sound strange, every fanatic ought to be lined up and shot. <laughs> <laughs> Having been shot myself, knowing how it feels, I, I think they deserve it. They don't have to be killed, <laughs> just shot. <laughs> Stop being so goddamn fanatical. Pow! How's that feel? You learn a lot. You put them in the hospital. They'll feel, you know, they'll learn a lot from it, from the experience. This is true. <sighs> there aren't many people who can say that, so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, there, is there anything else um, on that list after you die? I don't know. There might be someday, but 
the after you die requirements aren't aren't particularly large because my perspective on things has changed. I'm not too worried. About, I mean, I'd like to contribute. If I can find a way to contribute positively to society in a way that's going to, you know, alter things for the better for a smaller group or a larger group of humanity, then great. But um, getting shot made me realize I need to take care of me first. Mm-hmm. If I'm not in a good place, then I can't help anybody else. Mm-hmm. So if I had died... I don't have a whole lot of requirements. I wouldn't have, and I still don't have a lot of requirements for what comes next. Just things that I would have hoped people appreciated. So no, I don't think the list is very long. <laughs> so I don't have better a whole lot to, to say about when I die and after I die, but I don't have a lot of requirements there. I mean, I think that's the virtue of having gone through an experience like that. You, you're like, mm, things aren't that, they're, they're not that complicated. Things just are. Right? Mm-hmm. It's. Yeah, wherever you go, there you are, kind of thing. Uh, so, I want to give you the last uh, few minutes of this interview to uh, speak to the audience directly, whoever's listening through this little microphone uh, that just turned off. Uh, and now it's turned back on, <laughs> um, to speak to them and to, to whoever is listening, uh, to address them directly, speak to them. Maybe they're, they're somebody who's going through a, a crisis or an inflection point like you ha- you did six months ago. Or maybe they're also six months out from that experience and they're trying to figure out what do I do, what, where, where do I go from here? And uh, I know that you probably don't feel like you have the answers to give, uh, but uh, maybe you can just speak to them directly. The floor is yours. Going through something that is as physically and mentally altering as as being shot and being shot by a family member and and surviving it, it presents its own set of challenges. And and somebody who goes through a car accident or other an otherwise near death experience, whether it be a soldier coming home from war, frankly, I. Even having gone through something like this, I can't imagine, I mean, the mental stress. I understand a lot better what PTSD must be like for soldiers coming home. There's a lot of sympathy and empathy there from my standpoint. Something that I think a lot of people can't empathize with. I get it. This is trauma on a different level, but it was traumatic physically, and you can't ignore the mental. And as most people, most men, I would say, not necessarily women. Most men would dismiss the mental aspect and of, of healing when it comes to a traumatic event, traumatic physical event that, that comes pretty close to maiming you or killing you. Don't ignore it. Um, I've tried to leave myself pretty open to accepting whatever's come along. I don't believe that I have post-traumatic stress. I'm not reliving the event. I've accepted what happened. I'm not afraid of it, and I'm not afraid of it happening again, certainly, but everybody's circumstances are different. But I'm not afraid of... Uh, I, don't, I don't go to sleep and have flashbacks of what happened. 
or or relive the experience with you know when I'm awake or trying to fall asleep. Those are typical signs of PTSD. But from my standpoint, the PTSD is much more emotional. My emotions are right on the surface. I mean, you could you could elbow me sitting here next to me, and I might start crying. Who knows? I, and and I think. <laughs> Might not be a very manly thing to do in most people's opinion, but I don't really care. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with with having all those emotions. And I guess I'm kind of okay with not having control over them. I I have leaned on friends. I have to talk to them. I have shared that I don't have a lot of control over those emotions. And they accept that. I think that talking about what happened to you, and yeah, I definitely have an emotional overflow from, from my experience. And I don't, I've chosen not to ignore it. But that also leaves me very vulnerable to anything can overwhelm me. And usually I'm able to control it when I'm in, you know, in a public place or at work. or It's not that, but I allow myself the breakdown when it comes, at, at whenever that may be, outside of there. When I'm in a more private setting, or in front of it, but I won't hide it from friends or family. And... Uh, I also don't hide speaking my mind if I've got something that's semi-emotional to say. I just speak up. Thanksgiving was particularly appropriate for that because I was very thankful to be able to tell my family how appreciative I was of all the things that they've done for me. Living with my sister for two months and just taking care of me in general, being in the hospital with me and being supportive throughout this entire process. I had a lot to be thankful for, not just being alive. So... You know, the only advice that I would say is is uh, don't ignore the emotional side of things. I'm not really sure where the rabbit hole leads. <laughs> I don't know how deep it is yet, but uh, I don't think... I think that if I had chosen to suppress or hide or not allow myself to feel those emotions, I think I'd be in a much worse place. I think I'd be a very angry person right now. And I think I might be having some very negative reactions to what happened. Whereas now I'm just sad. I might call it maybe at times depressed, but I deal with it. I, I I grab a hold of the emotions and try to deal with them as opposed to bottling them up and pushing them down, which is what I used to do with emotions. And I think that this experience has made me a lot more sensitive to my own emotions. It's opened me up a bit. So, you know, I'm not, not sure I'll ever be able to close Pandora's box again, but, you know, <laughs> we'll see. I'm sure that it will die down over time. Um... But yeah, the the physical healing is definitely the easiest part. Your body will do that for you. Uh, the the mental stuff is is a lot more complicated. And even without a, an actual PTSD type reaction, where you're reliving events, there are all sorts of other emotional sides of things that you don't want to ignore. That's my two cents. So, hope that helps whoever's listening. <laughs> Those are good. Uh... I think well earned two cents. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely earned more than two. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, thank you so much. I know that this has been a long time in the making uh, for various reasons, and uh, I'm really thankful for the opportunity for for you to speak. Appreciate it. I'm glad I could uh, could participate. I I know it's been a long time in, in coming, but uh, it, um, I think the timing is actually better now than it would have been before. So, just because I'm I'm trying to re-enter life and uh, I can I can contribute a lot more than I maybe otherwise would have two months ago three months ago mm -hmm. 
So uh, this has been uh, Chris on Death. At what point do you, well, I guess you're going to ask other questions, but do you want me to describe the experience? or If you want to, if you, want, if you feel like it's something that you want to talk about, if you think it's relevant for the answer. Fair enough. Um, okay, I'm good. Do yeah. you want to give me some more hopes? Yeah, so uh, what is your name and how do you spell it? Like, for the purpose of this. Well, we're going to keep this anonymous, as we yes. So, but for the purposes of the interview, I'm going by Chris. Chris. Like, um, as you would, how would you spell that? Like, how do you... Christopher, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-P-H-E-R. Thanks. And what is your age? 38 now. 38. And uh, what is your gender identity and preferred set of pronouns? Male, heterosexual, and normalized, uh, or I guess socially acceptable normalized pronouns. And uh, when I say home, what do you think of? Pennsylvania. The whole state? In general, because I've... Yeah. Because having lived outside of the state, Pennsylvania becomes that focal point of going home. Mm -hmm. And was it when you left Pennsylvania that you sort of thought of it as home? Or was it... Because you grew up in, like, one of these houses, right? Yes. And is it that the house, or is it, is it the whole the whole area and the people within it that's home, or is it something else? Well, I've since come to realize that it's more about the people and the area that are home, less mm-hmm. the house and the location. Mm-hmm. And that's because that's changed a little bit over the last year. <laughs> well, well, home home has meant a lot of different things over the years, uh, and yeah, it's changed a lot in the last year. So, having lived in Illinois and in Chicago for. Uh, almost 15 years. Mm-hmm. That was home away from home, but this was still coming back to where my family was, my parents and my brother and sister mm-hmm. was still home. Do you, I mean, where do you, where do you feel like you're like, oh, I'm home? Is it when you're driving on the interstate and you see like the Pennsylvania, like welcome to Pennsylvania signs? Or is it uh, when you're at home with your folks? Now when I'm on 476 and I see the Allentown exit signs, um, usually coming back from Chicago it was Route 80 to 476. Mm-hmm. So when you hit the 476 signs and the exits for Allentown and, and then 309 down to Coopersburg, mm-hmm. that's home. And uh, when I, what is something in the past six months that you've been proud of? <laughs> um, I quit smoking. Yeah? Because yeah. Cool. You, were, you were vaping for a little while too, right? Yeah, but I was, I mean, I've smoked since I spent, I spent a year in Germany as an exchange student. Mm-hmm. And, uh, At what age? Uh, 17 to 18. Okay, okay. And uh, I picked up smoking then, and pretty much smoked throughout for, well, what amounts to almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, dropped that bad habit uh, <laughs> a little over six months ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, was made easier by uh, being in an isolated area where I couldn't smoke for about three or four weeks, so... Mm-hmm. But uh, having it out of your system, it's. I think that might be one of the prouder things I, 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 I'm proudest of in the last six months because I was basically killing myself. So mm-hmm. letting that go was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Was it? I mean, was it hard? Like how how hard was it? Was it easier in some ways than you expected? Well, being forced in the beginning made mm-hmm. it easy, but the maintaining that. Uh, for the last six months has not been easy. Mm. Um, 
especially working and and being around people that uh, still smoke. Mm-hmm. So secondhand smoke will agitate you. <laughs> kind of get the scratches going. Yeah. Because yeah. my dad, he smoked for, I think, like 30 or 40 years straight. And then he quit cold turkey. And he, I don't know if you experienced any of this too, but he started, like, you know, the, the his whole body just, like, changed, changed after he stopped smoking for a little while. He started getting, like, weird mouth ulcers. And his just whole body was just, like, recalibrating to life without cigarettes for a little while. And for that... It was like really tough for him for 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 a couple of weeks or for a couple of months, and then uh, a couple like maybe like a month ago, I went to New York City with my dad, and uh, it was this funny moment of like our dad, like um, my brother-in-law. Now uh, we were we were, we went to a, a, a like a cigar bar, and his dad was there, my dad was there. Both of them are previous smokers, and they were just watching their sons smoke a c- cigar, and they were just sitting there drinking drinking some booze and just kind of being like, all right, don't need to, we, we both quit and we don't need to do this and we don't like, so that was like an interesting moment just to see like, oh yeah, they're well past, like they're, they're done with cigarettes, they're done with tobacco. Yeah, that's, um, I don't, I don't know. I've been putting, I, I'm fine standing next to people and being around them when they're smoking, but they're still, they're still the urge. I imagine that will remain for a while, but mm-hmm. as far as the, the physical, I've seen nothing but positive things going on my body so <laughs> and there was like you know you also had a lot of physical things well there, there were a lot of other distractions to the physical aspect of that so I don't, i'm not mm-hmm. sure which was which mm-hmm. but uh i was recovering from other injuries at the time mm-hmm. and uh what is something in the next six months that you're looking forward to i'm having a very hard time identifying looking forward to anything at this point um i don't Right now, it's enough to exist, to to be. Um, the psychological ramifications of what happened six months ago are just starting to to hit home. As I re-enter portions of my previous life, mm-hmm. having spent six months on medical leave, having my best friend uh, and partner from Chicago around for the last six months, she just left two days ago. So she's back in Chicago, and I essentially had somebody, I had backup mm-hmm. for the last six months. And um, I don't know. I don't really know what I'm looking forward to. I haven't really figured out what I am or where I am yet. Mm-hmm. When, when you go through something like that, you face a lot of questions and I guess I'm still trying to... I, I've determined that I was going to redesign my life. But now the question is, I have... There's nothing holding me back from doing that. And the question is, how? What am I going to be? What am I going to do? How am I going to live? Start a family? All of the generalized questions people ask themselves. But I don't know. It's kind of like in a forced midlife crisis. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a crisis point. And those... Uh, uh, it's sort of like... Um... Yeah, you get you have a chance, you have an opportunity to switch directions, um, and uh, it's a question of like how hard do you roll with that opportunity to to change directions and to change things. It's something that I see a lot in. Um, so we just finished. I I just finished up my neurology and psychiatry rotations at the hospital, and uh, during inpatient psychiatry, people you know they're admitted. They they are a danger to themselves. You know for for reasons of suicide, suicide risk. Uh, maybe they had a good attempt, and it was—it's one of those things where they're—they're they're supported in the hospital. 
they have all these support systems and then they get stepped down to a partial hospitalization program and then they go home and they're like, now what? And it's that, that like once, once those support systems, once those casts, like, you know, like if you break your leg and the cast goes away, now you have to be able to walk on a broken, on a, a previously broken leg. And that's the, that's, the, that's sort of like where the real work happens. And uh, it's, um, it's tough. Well, I think for, I think it's, I guess I'm wondering, I find myself wondering at this point that if for the first 37 years of my life, if I was allowing, I was finding various forms of distraction to mm. uh, not have to think through some of the tougher questions in life. <laughs> I'm not sure who I was. I'm not sure what I was doing, what path I was on. I was just kind of going, doing, moving from thing to thing. And things that would crop up in front of me. Mm-hmm. And now I have to make some conscious decisions because I don't want to go back to that. I'm not sure what those decisions are. And yeah, the, the cast is removed or, or whatever analogy you want to use. I'm working with that in that at this point and it's definitely a challenge. You know, it's not something I won't overcome. It's just something, it's a challenge and so I don't have all of the answers yet. Mm-hmm. This is definitely an inflection point though from being in the hospital, coming out of the hospital, being able to physically move again, and now the last remnants of support have been removed. So this is actually the inflection point where I go back to or start into whatever life is going to be. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's something to be looking forward to, just to see where you're going to end up in six months, another six months from that day. And uh, just wherever you end up, that'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yes, well, I think I'll go with the old proverb, wherever you go, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> I like that.